0: John 6 is where we're at. How many of you are excited for a fantastic sermon today? Yeah. All right. I love it. Cheering at everything. Let me lower your expectations a little bit, okay? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen for a couple reasons, all right? Number one is we have 30 verses to cover today, verses 41 to 31. So we got a lot of ground to cover. And number two is these 30, 31 verses are the hard sayings of Jesus. So where we're about to go is you're not coming to me and believing on me unless the father draws you and you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And you say that you're a follower of me, but you really don't believe. And by the way, Judas is a devil. Okay. So that's that's where we're headed today. This is why we love to preach verse by verse for the Bible. That's why I love it, because you would never choose to preach on this if you didn't go verse by verse for the Bible. You would just pick a far easier text to handle, But uh, but here we are, and I love it, and we're gonna plow through it. So I'll warn you in advance. We're going to cover way too much scripture. It's going to be offensive, and it's going to be complicated, and you're welcome. So John 6, look at verse 60. We'll launch from verse 60. We'll read through this passage as we go through the sermon, but I want you to look at verse 60 and 61. The Bible says that many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said to them, doth this offend you? All right, so we're going to cover the hard sayings of Jesus. This The text tells us that they struggled with this. This was hard. Jesus asked them, did I offend you? You know, what's the deal here? So when you think hard sayings, I'll say this. Think hard candy, okay? Think hard candy, easy to choke on, hard exterior, but soft, juicy, awesome center. If you can get to the center. Okay. If you can break through the hard exterior, almost like a, uh, uh, what is the, the, the Tootsie Roll Pops or the, there's another one that I always used to eat as a kid. What is it? I don't know what that is. But there's one of them. I've, there was another one that you see all the time. I should probably know what it is, Sue. I'm sorry. But when you get to the center, right, and it's, it's chewy and it's juicy and it's good. So think hard sayings. And if you can break through it, you can get it, and you can wrestle with it, there's a lot of awesomeness there in the hard sayings, but they're, but they're tough. So here, here they are. Hard saying number one, I'm just going to put it this way, the Father draws. Verse number 41, where we last left off, so I'll say this first, where we last left off, was in verse number 40, where Jesus said, I am the bread come down from heaven, and you need to savor me, you need to partake of me, I'm who you need, it's a bombshell of a statement that Jesus says, I'm not your meal ticket, you don't need physical bread, you need me, I'm the bread come down from heaven. Verse 41 says they begin to grumble. So the Jews then murmured at him, because he had said, I am the bread which came down from heaven, and they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I am come down from heaven? So they begin to, to grumble, to murmur at this. What does it mean that they murmur? It means that they didn't get it. Jesus, what? You came down from heaven. We know your mom. We remember the day you were born. Jesus is kind of in his hometown area here. What, huh? I, I don't understand. So it means they didn't get it. It also means they don't like it. That, that they both don't get this and don't like this. And Jesus says in verse 43, murmur not among yourselves. Stop murmuring. Stop complaining about this. Here is the setting we'll see in a minute that Jesus is in the synagogue. And the murmuring probably was audible. Would have been almost something like a, a gasp or a boo or them disapproving of what he's saying. When he says, I'm the bread come down from heaven. Verse 44, Jesus is going to say this. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So the reason you can't get it and the reason that you don't like it is because you can't until the Father draws you. So stop the discussion and the murmuring. It's not going to help you. This is something that is echoed all throughout the passage. We saw last time we were together in the, in the beginning of John six thirty seven that Jesus says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Jesus is going to say in John six sixty five here in just a few moments, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. Now, we'll understand what that means in a moment, but let's keep moving because he's going to add some, some clarification, some color to this. Verse number 45, Jesus is going to explain a bit of what does the father draws. What does that mean? How, how, do, how are we supposed to interpret that? What does his drawing look like? How, how could we make sense of this? He's really going to tell us. It's written, is it, is it written in the prophets? And they shall be all taught of God. So Jesus quotes, "The beginning of Isaiah 54:13, that phrase, "They shall all be taught of God." And he says, "My drawing is God teaching." And here's a little bit of what that means. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. So God's drawing is the voice of God coming to someone, someone responding to that, seeking and learning. This is why it's not uncommon for me to say in my preaching, if God's speaking to you, respond. Now that's very subjective. That's, how, how do you measure that? How do, how do you uh, put parameters on that? That's very, that's very subjective to your own heart, but Jesus is saying that the Father draws through coming to you and speaking to you and respond to that, learn. So if you're saved, you know what I'm talking about. I'll put it that way. You know what it's like for, for God to speak into your own heart, not audibly, but for him to speak to you. And you struggle to explain that to your unsaved coworkers or to your family and friends that don't know Jesus because you felt that and you know what that's like. Verse 46, he'll add one more thing, to guard against mysticism to guard against someone taking this too far that God spoke to me sort of line. Here's what he says in verse number 46. Not that any man has seen the Father save or except he which is of God, he has seen the Father. So, So someone doesn't take this too far. Jesus goes out of his way to say that no one is going to get this direct, personal, mystical knowledge of God apart from me. I am the one that is one with the Father. I am the one that's seen the Father. I am the one that knows the Father. Me and the Father are one. And Jesus is the narrator of God. We've seen that through John's Gospel already. That Jesus is the, the image of the invisible God. That God is in person, in color, there, touchable. You can see what he thinks, how he operates, what's important to him, that you get a revelation of God from the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and from the word of God, but you don't get this special revelation that God spoke to me and I heard it, so let me share my special revelation with you, right? You can take this too far and Jesus is trying to guard against this. He's saying God draws and God speaks, but this is not to say that you're like me and you're one with the father, you've seen the father. The point being, if someone comes to you and says, you know what? I got a special word of knowledge for you. God told me what, you, what his will for your life is. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to share it with you. I'm some sort of oracle or diviner, and, and I have this special revelation that he's only trusted me with, and now I'm going to share it with you. Run from that nonsense, okay? Get away from that. You can find God, who he is, narrated in the life of Jesus Christ, because he's God in the flesh, and in Scripture, and he does speak to you in a very personal way. He does, but that's not meant to be some sort of special revelation that you share with people. So this as a whole is one of three hard sayings that Jesus is going to give. Now, why is this a hard saying and why do people choke on this? The fact that, hey, you're struggling to understand what I'm telling you. You're not gonna understand it unless the Father draws you. This is, the Father draws by speaking to you. Why is this hard? Why and how do people choke on this? Here's why people choke on this. First of all, it's perplexing. So to wrestle out Scripture's teaching of the sovereignty of God and his drawing, coupled with the responsibility of man and free will, which we'll try a crack at in just a moment, but to wrestle that out is very perplexing for our our human finite minds, but it's also very insulting to our westernized minds. We generally are taught to believe that we're the master of our own fate, we're the captain of our own soul. We have this sort of operific sort of mentality that you can do whatever you want. Just set your mind to it. Set your heart to it. Whatever you want to be, whatever you want to do, you can accomplish your dreams and goals, and you can make it all happen. Just think positively and pursue it and do all of that, and you can overcome anything, and this rubs up against that. This rubs up against that where Jesus says, no, actually, you need the Father. This isn't just I'm the master of my own fate and the captain of my own soul. This does insult us and offend us a little bit. And people tend to choke on it for that reason, because it's hard. And here's how sometimes people choke on this, especially Christian people. Understanding my audience this morning, there, there are probably two primary ways. One way is for people to, if you're a Christian and you love the Bible and you're trying to understand and wrestle with the hard saying, I don't want to choke on it. I want to understand it. One way is to pick up the flag of free will, which I would say, yes, please pick up that flag and wave it. It's clearly taught in scripture. Is to pick up that flag and wave it to the exclusion of God's sovereignty and God's control and what Jesus is talking about here in John 6. Is to say, you know what? I've, I've had conversations with people that have gone something like this. Pastor, I want my unsaved family to believe, so I'm going to tell them about Jesus. But literally, I'm not going to pray for them because it's, it's not up to God. It's up to them that Jesus showed his love. He demonstrated it for us on the cross. He died for us. He put that on display. Ball's in their court. They need to choose why do I need to pray that God would do something? It's their decision, which is waving the flag of free will to the exclusion of what Jesus is clearly teaching and going way overboard and way too far and and choking on this and saying, you know what, I don't like that, I don't want that. And, you, and if you do that, you're really gonna struggle with what he says here. You're really gonna struggle With other verses, like you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. You loved me because I first loved you. There's none that seeks me. Romans 3, that the bent of our heart is not naturally to find God. So you're really going to struggle with the sovereignty of God if you go over there. Now, there's the other side of the equation that can pick up what Jesus is teaching here and his sovereignty and his control and can wave that flag to the exclusion of man's choice and responsibility, which is clearly taught in scripture. That there is a choice, To man, and what you choose is going to determine your eternal destiny. So that's a very serious choice. And you find Jesus saying that you should sign on the dotted line. You find him in John 5 saying that you won't believe on me. Not you can't, but you won't. You won't choose it. You won't do it. So you can't go over this way and say, you know what? It's God that chooses, He draws, He does this. So we have no control and no choice in the matter. Therefore, it's just God doing it. We're kind of you know, robots and, and animatronics and, and whatever he says goes. We have no control, no choice, and some people will go even further than that. So if that's the case, and there's only a select you know, group of people that will believe Jesus only died for those, for those people, he didn't die for the sins of the world, It can go further and further and further and, and begin to obliterate the free will aspect, which is, which is choking on this, which is taking it way too far. And, and those will struggle to account for well, Jesus died for the sin of the world. Whosoever will may come. That you won't believe. Why won't you choose? Struggle with that. So here's where you're at. Some of you are like, Pastor, I've been around church a long time. I pretty much understand what you just said, but you helped me zero. <laughs> Others of you are like, can you repeat all that? I'm not, exa- what, are, huh? what are we talking? This is why it's a hard saying, okay? What, what did you just say we'll put it on YouTube. You can go back and you can listen to it. Let me try to help us understand and to try to to come where I think we should come biblically. Here's the truth. Salvation is never achieved apart from the drawing power of God. It's clearly time scripture. And it's never consummated apart from the willingness of humans to hear and learn from God. To choose one from the other will ultimately end in unbalanced, unbiblical theology. That is a quote from G.L. uh, Borchert, which I agree with 100%. You dare not resolve this tension in the Bible. It's not a tension that's meant to be resolved. I'll illustrate it this way. Jesus, human or divine? Both. You don't resolve that tension. He's both. God, one or three? Yes, right? Yes. Is he triune? Father, Son, and Spirit? There's there's three persons in one God. How do you wrap your mind around that? You don't resolve that tension. They're both clearly taught in Scripture. When it comes to our salvation, do we choose or is God in control and God draws us? Yes, both. You don't resolve that. To resolve one to the exclusion of the other is going to hurt you and is going to end up in theology that's going to be messed up. The, these two truths are railroad tracks that run parallel to each other, and they seem disconnected from each other, but the gospel train plows right down those two tracks. You can't have one without the other, and Jesus is leaning into the sovereignty far more here in this passage, for sure, than he is in the free will, but you have to understand both and, and get both. I'll try to help you know what you should do with this. A. A. Hodge, who was considered to be the prince of theologians, gave an illustration That's along the same vein, but on a different topic. And he said this. Does God know when we are going to die? You answer. Yes. Yes, he does. Has God biblically appointed that day, set it up, determined it beforehand? Has he appointed the day that you will die? Yes. Why do we eat? Well, we eat to live. What happens if you do not eat? You die. So what happens if I choose not to eat? and die. Did I choose to die, or did God appoint the day that I would die? A. A. Hodge would say, this is his quote, quit asking stupid questions and just eat. (laughs) That's what he said. When it comes to, you can, you can wrestle with this till you're blue in the face. And I'm not telling you not to wrestle this out, and not to try to chew on this, and not to consider this. I don't, the the scope of the sermon, and really the scope of this text, is, is I don't have time for that and the text really doesn't start to lean into any more than this but so don't say okay i'll put my brain on the shelf and i won't consider these things i'm not saying that i am saying though when it comes to this what you need to know is if god's speaking to you respond and believe if god has spoken to you and you have believed go share his good news with other people that's what's most important as hodge would say eat Do something with it. Don't just sit there in your ivory tower and debate about this till you're blue in the face. That's not gonna do you any good. You need to do something with it and you need to eat. So has God commanded you to believe when it comes to to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Has he commanded you to choose and commanded you to believe? Yes. But when someone believes, when I believed, was it God working in me to help me do that? Yes. Pastor, explain exactly how that works. It's above my pay grade honestly and i'm not trying to be cheap it is well pastor that doesn't satisfy me well that's why it's a hard saying okay don't choke on it just salivate a little bit chew on it a little bit see if it'll dissolve and you'll get to a chewy center when you do get to the chewy center i'll tell you what you'll find is you'll find the grace of god and you'll find that it's really it's really your salvation is not about you and how good you are and all that so it's about the goodness and the grace of god and that's the chewy center that you'll find that i don't have a ton of time for a hard saying number two Eat my flesh, drink my blood. You say, what? Well, that's what it says. Here we go, 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness and are dead. This, me, is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus has really already said most of this. I'm the bread, you need to partake of me, you need me. This is what they had struggled with in the first place. In verse 52, it says, the Jews therefore strove among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? It's a natural question, right? You said eat the bread, I'm the bread, that's my flesh. You want us to be cannibals, Jesus? What are you, what are you talking about? In verse 53 Then Jesus said to them, and he's just going to unload, eat my flesh and drink my blood, like over and over again. Which, if you're a vampire, makes a great life verse. But for the rest of us, it's kind of disturbing, honestly. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. As the living Father has sent me and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he, shall live by me. Jesus says over and over again to people who won't even eat pork, much less people, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Verse 58 This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. So how do we understand that? What does that mean? Right? You naturally read that and you don't get all giddy about it. Like, I want to write that on my, you know, wall. I'm going to put that on a plaque, and a card, and send it to somebody. Like, you naturally read that and you say, huh? What does this mean? Well, I'll give you two verses to circle that will give you great parameters to understand what Jesus is talking about. The first verse is he's he's about to say it in verse 63. Is a circle 63 if you're in that habit because this will help you be parameter number one to get it. It is the spirit that quickeneth or makes alive. He just talked about eating flesh and and receiving life. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. So right after Jesus says this, he's going to segue into that verse to say... This isn't physical. The flesh profits nothing. This is spiritual. I'm giving you spiritual truth. I'm speaking words to you that are spirit. We can know very clearly from this verse and from common sense that Jesus is speaking figuratively, that he's not literally saying, you need to take a bite of me and you need to drink my blood, which is a pattern in John. If you've been with us through this series, we've already seen this over and over again. John 2 destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. What? We've been building that thing for 46 years, Jesus. We're going to raise that up three days? No way. John 3, Except a man be born again. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What? You want me to go back in my mother's womb and be born again? How can I go back in my mom? That's not going to work out, Jesus. John 4, I have living water. Drink this living water. You'll never thirst again. I'm looking at you. You don't even got a canteen, bro. You, where's your pitcher? You don't got any water to give me. How are you going to get water for me? You're going to do that over and over and over again. This has been the theme in John where Jesus gives them words that are spiritual truths. They take them literally and completely misunderstand them and miss the point that he's saying. This is the same way. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Huh? You want me to be a cannibal? No. It's, it's not designed to be literal. And we get this, okay? We say things like this all the time. We say... I devoured that book. Did you really eat the book like Jeremiah in the Old Testament? No, you didn't. What what are you saying? I read it and I went through it quickly. Chew on this piece of information, right? Here's something, chew on it. Not literally, but figuratively. That lie was tough to swallow. We employ this sort of language even in our modern vernacular all of the time and Jesus is, is not talking literally. And I'll say this because I understand that many of you grew up with a Catholic background, and it's not really my habit to point at certain denominations and denominational teaching, but I must on this point, because many of you have this background. To take a figurative line of thinking, and to turn it into literal, and then to take that literal interpretation and start to build doctrine off of it, ends up being a very grave error, to which the Catholic Church has done. They teach transubstantiation, that when they take communion, that 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 wafer, the Eucharist, that, that wine, when the priest says his blessing, literally turns into the body and the blood of Jesus is what they would teach. Now, you can't see it turn, and if you did a DNA sample on it, there, you know, you're not going to get anybody's DNA, but it literally does. It's a miracle, which is taking this figurative language, but taking it literally and then starting to build doctrine off of it, which is an error. We are taking communion today, not because we're at eat my flesh, drink my blood text. It literally just happened to be that way. We planned communion months ago and, uh, and we just so happened to fall on this text today, which I'm glad that we did. But know that at the end of the service, when we take communion, that's not turning into anything magical. It's just bread and it's just juice. And it's symbolic of the, of the body and the blood of Jesus. And it causes us to remember and to reflect and to praise his name and to worship him. But there's nothing magical happening in that moment. This is figurative language. I'll give you a second verse to circle to help you know what he's saying. So the first one is 63. Know that this is this is spiritual truth. The second one is verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, what Jesus just said is bread equals life. What if any man eat this bread, he'll live forever. Then he said that bread equals flesh, the bread that I give is my flesh. So bread equals life, bread equals flesh, therefore my flesh equals life, which is kind of at the end. My flesh is what I give for the life of the world. Bread equals life, bread equals flesh, that means flesh equals life is what Jesus is trying to say. So what does that mean? Well, it's beautifully profound and beautifully wise. What he's saying is my flesh is the bread that's going to give you life. Okay, so what I'm about to say, you know, but you forget it because you live in an industrialized society. For you to receive life from anything you eat outside of a strange mineral like salt, but just about anything that you eat for you to receive life, it has to die. Plant or animal, for you to receive life from it, it, the bread, it, the meat, it, the drink, the juice, the, the grape, has to die for you to receive life from it. You can't eat without living. You can't live without eating, is what I meant to say. And everything you eat has to die. So when it comes to eating bread, if the bread stays whole, you fall into pieces. If you're going to be made whole, the bread has to be broken into pieces, is a way you could say that, right? So if, if the bread stays whole and you don't consume it, you fall to pieces, right? But if you want to be made whole, it has to be broken into pieces and consumed, And what Jesus is saying here is, I am the bread, my flesh is the bread, my flesh is going to be broken, going to die, so that you can receive life, so that you don't fall to pieces, so that you can be made whole, you can take of me the bread, because I'm going to be broken for you, die for you, I'm going to atone for your sins. Now that's a little bit complicated, it's admittedly a hard saying, but Jesus is referencing the gospel, his death, that he's going to die and to atone for our sins. Furthermore, he says in verse number 56, that if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you dwell in me and I in him. So I'm in you now and you're in me, which we get this with our food, that as you consume food, that food becomes part of you. I, we have three children and one on the way. If you didn't know, surprise, there's another one on the way. But our two of my boys, they were born at seven, seven, both, I think, right? Seven, seven, both. They don't weigh seven seven anymore. They weighed thirty pounds. Cruz is now, I don't know what, but he went to ten pounds and then he went to fifteen pounds and maybe he's eighteen pounds or something now. How did he get from seven seven to eighteen? You say, Well, you fed him. Yeah, you're right. If we wouldn't have fed him, he would have withered away. But as we fed him, that food became part of him. And he began to grow and to assimilate that into himself and begin to dwell in him and him with it. And it mixes together in some really awesome ways that our body does all of that. But now, And he'll continue to grow and to grow and to grow as he eats and eats and eats. And what Jesus is saying is there's a growth aspect to this that as you eat my flesh, drink my blood as you, as you feast on me, then I'm dwelling in you and growing and becoming part of you. So there's, there's a gospel angle here, but there's also a growth angle here. But beyond that, there's also just this sense of, of you need Jesus to keep going. So meat and drink is what gives you the basic energy to keep moving through life. It's what makes you tick. A watch ticks because it has a battery to give it energy. You tick and can go through life because you eat and you drink, Right? And Jesus is saying, more or less, feast on me. I will give you that, what you need to be propelled through life. I will give you that energy. And he says this in so many different ways throughout John's gospel, that I am the one that will give you that. And we're all looking for something to give us that satisfaction, to give us that meaning, to make us tick, some of us look for it in sexual activity. Some of us look for it in money. Some of us look for it in career success or material things or or uh, relationships or the fact that somebody needs me. We all look for this, but Jesus is saying, "Make that me. Feast on me. Come to me. I will make you tick." I will help you grow. I I will make you whole. I'm going to be broken for you. My flesh will be broken for you. My blood will be poured out for you. Life comes from me. Come to me. Feast on me. It's it's all pointing back to Jesus in a very spiritual, figurative way. So properly understood, there's a sweet, sweet sinner to this hard truth. Properly understood, do you want to live? Well, he was broken so that you could live. And we praise his name for that. Properly understood. Do you want to go grow? Well, come to him, partake of him. Do you want the basic energy to keep going through life? Let him be your meat and drink, feast on him. That's what Jesus is saying. Admittedly, complicated, but he's trying to draw you back to himself for all of life, for all that you need spiritually to to get through life and to enter into eternity. It's all in Jesus, and he's saying, Partake of me. Last one. Verse 59, these things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And some of you thought I was joking when I said I lower expectations and you're already like, I'm glazed over. That was, well, we're already five verses too many. Cut it off. No, we're going. Here we go. 59, he said, as he taught in Capernaum. I think that's important. Capernaum is where Jesus headquartered his ministry So if there's any group of people that have seen Jesus more, heard from Jesus more, other than his disciples who traveled with him, but these people who've seen him do miracles, it's these people. If there's any group of people that are going to believe, that are going to to wrestle with the hard sayings and come to faith and be true followers, it's these people. But here he is in Capernaum, verse 60. Many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? (laughs) Jesus, I want to plug my ears. I don't like this. I don't like what you're saying. I don't get this, and I don't like this. Verse 61, Jesus knew in himself that they, that they murmured at it, and he said, does this offend you? I step on your toes. You don't like this. I offended you. Which, by the way, if you have a real relationship with Jesus, you'll get that question quite a bit. Did I offend you? And many times the answer is, yeah, Jesus, you did. Now, He's right and you're wrong. Okay, I got to understand that. But many times he will, he will rub up against you. He'll go against the grain. He'll step on your toes. If you have a real relationship with him and you see who he is and what he says and you understand it, he will challenge your thinking over and over and over and over again. And he does here. Verse 63, we already covered. It's the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, their spirit, their life, But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given to him of my father. He says, you know why I told you that no man can come? You know why I I said that? Because I know. I know that some of you don't believe. Now it says that he said this to his disciples, the followers. To his disciples, I know you don't believe. I know there's going to be one who betrays you. Which This is a profound claim On the sovereignty of God, the foreknowledge of God, which is tied into all this that I don't have time for this morning. It's tempting just to dwell here, but I I, I wish I could. But this is definitely coupled with his sovereignty. This is a bold claim. But I knew this, and I knew you didn't believe. This is why I said this to you. Verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They were followers. They were disciples. But they really did not believe, and they left. When it came to the hard sayings of Jesus, they choked. They choked. The chapter, how did the chapter start? Remember the miracle we started with in John 6? It was one day before this, 24 hours before this. It started with 5,000 men and men with women and children coming to Jesus because of miracles. And he fed them. Then the next, the night came, he walked across the sea. The next day they come to him. This is the next day. So it's only been 24 hours. There are thousands of people coming to Jesus And Jesus is going to shrink his ministry and his crowd from thousands down to 11. You would think that was a tough day for Jesus, but he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Verse number 67. Then said Jesus unto the 12, will ye also go away? So they all leave. I can't handle that. Uh Uh-uh. Then he looks at 12. You going to leave too? Here's the last vestige, the, the little inner circle You're going to go away? I I love this part. Here comes Peter with a great answer. He's a knucklehead sometimes, but this is a great one. Not completely accurate, but he's real close. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. We believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That's a great irreducible minimum of what it means to believe on Jesus. Jesus, where else are we going to go? What what other alternative do I have? I have no other option. You're the only option. When you understand that Jesus is the only option, you're at a good place. Jesus, you're it. I have nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. We believe. We put our faith in you. That is a fantastic answer from Peter, and it feels like that should be the end of the chapter, right? This whole thing has been in the minor key, and here comes Peter with this happy kind of positive message. We believe. You're it. And it feels like, yeah, just you know, end it there, cut it. No, Jesus switches hard shift right back to the minor key and he's gonna leave with this really unresolved chord here. Verse 70, Jesus answered them, have not I chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him being one of the 12. So Jesus says, ah, Peter, mostly right. Peter spoke in the plural. Jesus said, you 12, you gonna go away? Peter said, we us 12, where are we going to go? We believe. You're the Christ. You have the words of eternal life. We're in. Us 12. And Jesus said, ah, mm, I missed one. Eleven of you. One of you's a devil. End of chapter. Like that's a strange way to end a chapter, is it not? Like, it, it goes hand in hand with all these hard sayings. What, what does this mean? Well, it means this, that some followers are not true believers. It definitely means that. Is it okay, pastor? What does that mean for me? Here's what it means for you. I'm hesitant to say it this way, but I think we can say it this way. Jesus is is almost scared, if we can say it that way, that there are going to be people that step up and say, I believe, I follow you, I'm a Christian, I'm I'm on team Jesus, but aren't really. And he talks about it over and over. He talks about the the 10 bridesmaids who look the same, but five of them really get it and five of them really don't get it. He talks about the two houses. They look the same, but one's built on a rock. One's built on sand. One's going to collapse. One's going to stay. He tells them, there's going to be many of you that come to me in the last days. And say, Lord, Lord, we've prophesied in your name. We did many wonderful things. We cast out devils. And I'm going to say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Over and over again, Jesus talks about this. There's a rich young ruler that comes to Jesus. Jesus, I'm all out. I'm all in. I'm following you. Well, the son of man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. You know, that may be required of you. Oh, yeah. um, Psych, not in. Here, you're disciples, you're following, but you don't really get it. You don't really believe. Over and over again, Jesus does this. It's astonished at how hard he works to make sure, try to make sure that there's not false followers, that there aren't people that are professing to follow him, professing to believe on him, professing to say, I I pray, I read my Bible, I come to church, I do all these things. I'm a Christian, I have a Christian pedigree, I grew up in church. All of this, but don't really know him. See, pastor, how do I know if, if I know him? You got me a little bit scared now. You know, if all these people were supposed followers, but they weren't, what if, what if I'm that way? How do I know that I'm that way? I mean, I think I prayed a prayer. I did what the pastor told me to VBS. I responded. What, what am I supposed to do? I mean, I, I don't know. I think the father drew me. It was a long time ago. I don't remember exactly how I felt. Am I, am I really saved? How do I know this? Right? Because you don't want to miss this. You don't, it's very easy to say, I'm a believer. I'm here. Pat, raise my hand. I'm saved. I know Jesus, but not really. So how do I know if I have, can I have a piece about that? It does it have to be a question mark. Well, it doesn't. You can know. Here's the illustration I'll give and I'll end. You ever go to a, uh, a vending machine snacks or soda or something, and you put your coins in, but it doesn't give you what you paid for. Ever had that happen? Right. Why does that happen? You, you know, click, 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 you put in your four quarters, but nothing comes out. And you're obviously frustrated. But nothing comes out. Well, the reason is that one or more of those coins didn't drop. It, it, we call it the penny drops. If the penny drops, the product is dispensed, whatever that product is. And if the product isn't dispensed, and you get real frustrated, and you shake it, and you bang it, and, you know, how many deaths are there a year of people who have vending machines fall on them because they were so angry about their dollar candy bar or something, but you shake it, you bank, you get frustrated. But why? I, I'm not getting the product, and the reason you're not getting the product is the penny never dropped. And when it comes to Christians, there are many supposed Christians, and I can't answer this for you, it's between you and God. But I know clearly from the teaching of Scripture in this story that there are many supposed Christians who say, I read my Bible and I pray and I'm putting in the stuff, but the penny's never dropped. You say, well, pastor, how, how do I know if the penny drops? Like, what does that mean to me? Well, the product is released. The Bible is clear that if you're saved, certain things will happen, that there will be dispensed in you certain ways of thinking, certain ways of living that are the product of true believing, saving faith. You're not saved because of that, but it's an indication that you are saved, that if the, if the, if the tree isn't bearing fruit, there's something wrong with the root, Right? You say, okay, what's the product? Which is a great question. Pastor, I want to be sure I'm really a follower. I'm not a false follower. Okay, the penny has to drop. I don't know if the penny's drop, The product's released. What product is released? There's a whole book of the Bible to tell you it. I would encourage you, if you're wrestling with that, and, you're, and you just, you don't know, I would encourage you to read 1 John. Same author, different book. 1 John, five short chapters, and he tells you more or less throughout that whole book, here are the birthmarks of a believer. Here's how you can know if you're born again. He gets to the very end of the book, 5.13. And he says, I wrote these things unto you that you, can, that you may know that you have eternal life. I wrote this so that you can be sure. Here's the product that's this dispense. Say, so, okay, I want to know the product now. Okay, I'll give it to you in 60 seconds. Here's more or less condensed version. You're getting 30 verses of hard sayings and a cliff note version of 1 John. You can thank me later, okay? We're done, Here's what he says. He says, if, if you're a Christian, you will know by you submitting to the lordship of Jesus. He puts it as you'll love his commands. That if you're a Christian, your heart will be inclined to love and desire and to want His commands. And what He tells you to do, you'll do. What He tells you not to do, you won't want to do. That that you will be bent that way. And non-Christians are not bent that way. And you will actually, if you come to grips with who Jesus is, you will submit to His Lordship. You will love His commands. He also tells you that you'll seek the lifestyle of Jesus. Namely, purity and righteousness. He says in 1 John 3 that if you're a true Christian, you won't have unrepentant, unbroken patterns of sin. Will you wrestle with sin? Will you have things that are in your life that you don't like and and, and confess your sin? Yes. But will there be these unrepentant, unbroken patterns where you just don't care and your sin means nothing to you and there's no conviction and there's nothing happening? He says, no, if you know Jesus, that won't happen. There'll be something happening inside of you. Then he says that a, a true believer shares the love of Jesus, primarily loving Jesus himself, but also loving his children all your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that there's an inclination to want to be around them, to to a desire to be around other Christians, to love them, to spend time with them, your heart's inclined to them. This frankly is why we're retooling our whole group system to try to help fellowship and connection because it's a true biblical need of a Christian. But he says, if you know him, the pennies drop, the product will be released. What product? You'll submit to his lordship. You'll share in his love. And you'll also want to seek his lifestyle. You'll want to live purely and righteously. You'll want to keep His commands. You'll want to be around other believers. You say, "Pastor, I don't see that in my life." I mean, I try to put on a good face, but that's truly not a desire of my heart. You're not saved, and that, that's a bold thing to say. I'm not God. Okay, that is a little bit above my pay grade. But according to Scripture, if that's not in your life, there's a problem. So you have to wrestle with this hard question. It's it's not fun to preach on this, but you have to wrestle with it. Am I truly saved? Am I really a follower? Because there are a lot of people that they said they were disciples, but they left. They pulled up stakes and said, no, I can't stomach this. I can't take it. I'm out. Martin Lord Jones said it this way. Anyone who has any conceivable alternative to Jesus Christ is not a Christian. Peter said, Lord, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Where else would we turn? There's no other alternative. It's only you. You have the words of life. So if You have never believed. I would ask you this. Is God speaking to you? Respond today. Right here where you sit. Talk to him. Pray to him. Put your faith and trust in him and believe on him. If you have responded, if you have, are you okay with Jesus stepping on your toes? Are you okay with him saying hard things? Don't try to resolve the tension between his sovereignty and free will. Thank him for for giving his body for you, for being broken for you, and worship him this morning. Pray with me.